0: Of Cincinnati welcome to the Dugo dark- Cincinnati we gon' rise in the heart In the jungle we unite in the heart Drippin' orange and black and white Beast of beast and who ain't rockin' with the diamond stripes, flossin' on the rings. Cincinnati sees our queen. We gon show the
1: what's going on welcome to the show this is sports with strawberry ice i'm your host the ice man jeff truneple and as always i bring you sports from a west side point of view right here in the great city of cincinnati ohio home of the afc north champion cincinnati bengals who got back late to work at least got back in the building today all right do me a favor if you guys found this hit that like and subscribe button smash that thumbs up you guys are awesome i'm up to 1,641 subscribers that's awesome. As always, I appreciate every single one of you guys. Now, do a favor. If you watch on YouTube or Twitter and you have yet to subscribe to my channel, please do so. Please go to Sports with Strawberry Ice. Hit the subscription button. Hit the bell for the notification. And every time I go live, you'll be notified. Also, exclusively in the YouTube chat crew, we're doing Super Chat. So, if you like to support what I'm doing, give me a Super Chat. If you want to give me a question or something that John Sheeran or myself needs to answer, give me a Super Chat. Also, hit those likes. I'd appreciate it. It just helps with the algorithm with youtube and everything like that now we just got done with the draft what you guys thoughts is it a touchdown or is a what the blank were they doing let's get to john sharon let's find out what he says john what's going on brother
2: doing pretty well man thanks for having me back on
1: no problem i appreciate when you guys always come on it's awesome so what do you think it's a touchdown did they or is it what the hell are they doing what do you got
2: Oh, let's put it under review and we'll take it out of the tunnel in three years. You know, but then I'll be able to tell you.
1: <laughs> Come on, John, you, jo, 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 you, you want to be like realistic about this? Like we can't, you can't, you can't be great on like right now. Like everybody, everybody else does.
2: <laughs> I feel like draft grades are my top 10 worst, most hated things in life. I I would say, I feel like, okay, I, I don't want to like completely like avoid it because I feel like there is a process that you should have in evaluating draft picks in real time because we have objective data and information. People pass the eye test all the time. I think people can tell which players are good and which, which aren't, or still need work in college. So I don't want to completely go around there, but right. I, th- I think with grades in general, it's like the Chiefs, the Jets, and the Ravens are getting the most love, rightfully so. They drafted right. a lot of objectively good players. Jets had two top 10 picks, Ravens ended up with two first round picks. Chiefs, I guess, are in the similar situation with the Bengals, so you can best compare them to that. But there are some, I mean, Look at the Bengals last two years too. picking first, picking fifth overall, very easy for them to draft very well-known players, very good players and ended up, you know, being very successful there. So I feel like grades in general aren't properly weighted because not everyone's playing on the same playing field. Bengals ended up with six picks, never picked higher than like, I guess, 20th or whatever, in whatever order of, of the round it was. So I think they did good. I think they didn't necessarily blow any pick immediately. I think the information that we have on all six of these guys and a good number of their undrafted guys. I think they're good players. They're going to contribute early and have really good chances to be long-term contributors, whether it be in a starting role or in a, a rotational role. So I think the class looks fine on paper right now.
1: That's awesome. Now I got a question. What, how do you, let's put it to you this way. How do you feel about the versatility that they got, at least in the first, uh, first three guys are, are, are very versatile, you know, in, in positions that they could play and, and, more of what Lou and Aruma wants to do, you know, with, with the, I call it the amoeba defense or the morphing defense or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever they, that team does, you know, the Bengals want to take that away from like, I mean, the, the example I give is in the playoff games, you know, in Tennessee, they were determined to stop the run. They, they stacked the box to stop the run. Kansas City, they did the exact opposite. They let them run the ball. They try to stop them from throwing it everywhere. And that you need guys, multiple guys. So I think you can play multiple positions. And I think with the first three, Dax Hill, uh, Cam Taylor-Britt, and Zach Carter. You got guys there who are pretty flexible. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think I might be in in the minority here. Uh, Dax Hill undoubtedly has, like, I, I it's great that he's kind of embracing, he's not just, like, open to it. He wants to be a positionless player and to have, to wear multiple hats and I feel like he he has a good understanding of where the NFL is going in the sense because offenses will always dictate what the defense does next from a philosophical standpoint. And right now, you just need to be completely open and flexible to whatever offenses are doing and to have the ability to play overhang defender, free safety, slot cornerback. I think those are where he's most useful at. I, I know people love to look at his athleticism and, and claim that he can eventually learn outside cornerback. But uh, yeah, well, that's why we got.
1: Know. That's why we got. Brit <laughs> Britt, right? Yeah.
2: Just, exactly. And, and like I think with Britt and Zach uh, Carter. I'm going to call Zach Taylor. I'm going to call Zach Carter, Zach Taylor at some point. Like I (laughs) know it's going to happen hundred percent, but so I know Taylor Britt played a little bit of safety early in his career, but I think he's just best as a boundary cornerback. He's got the length. He's got the speed in order to do that. Um, I don't know if he can play in the slot. He didn't really do that much in Nebraska, but I feel like with him, there's not a ton of like legitimate useful versatility. And that's fine because he plays a really valuable position at boundary cornerback. And with Zach Carter, He played mostly edge, and I say mostly very loosely because he played a a good balance of both edge, five technique, and three technique, and he's probably just better being inside because he doesn't have the speed and explosion that you look for in in an edge rusher, and I believe that's why he was not really a consensus third or fourth round player, just because his testing numbers were very pedestrian because Florida didn't really know where to stick him long term, and they just ended up uh, playing him all over the line, but I think he's best utilized inside, so I look at I look at Carter and Taylor Britt and yeah, they've played multiple positions in the past, but if you want to get the most out of both of those guys, I think you have Taylor Britt as your boundary cornerback. You don't really bother putting him at safety and with Carter, just make sure he doesn't go too far outside of being a five technique. And that's exactly what the Bengals needed. They needed someone right. to, to spill BJ Hill at three technique. Yes. They need someone at five technique when they go in those fronts and he can fill that role fine. I think he's a decent player at that juncture. But I think with Hill he is the versatile one, and I, and I still wouldn't put boundary quarterback in his uh, list of of useful positions and skills, but he's definitely got that ability to go anywhere between the hashes as, as a secondary defender, and that's extremely valuable.
1: Exactly. Now, today it came out that the uh, Bengals uh, re-signed to one-year uh, deal, uh, Kevin Huber. Um, now, to me, that still doesn't mean that Huber is definitely going to be our punter. Now, I mean, my two-man my two crushes the Bengals didn't get, uh, the freaking Ratbergs. Got or bomb before uh, we could draft them and punk God was gone. So, um, I know, yeah, I know you love that. So, uh, I think the punting situation, it's going to be a, a competition. I think between, uh, Huber and, 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 Christensen. Don't you?
2: Yeah. I feel that re-signing Huber was the least they could do after not drafting nine Bearcats personally. Um, might, <laughs> might as well bring any him back. Of them. Like, exactly. Right. <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know if that's <laughs> ever going to happen, even when they're in the Big 12, but oh, you know, I'm ha- happy for all of those nine guys. Oh, yeah. Huber, exactly. it really did feel like his leg was falling off at the end of the year. And I don't uh, know yeah. if that was just fatigue or he's going to be 37. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that we're going to see another useful year out of Kevin Huber. But when he was originally when he was re-signed today, I saw a lot of people saying, yeah, he's the he's the best holder in the league or he's only going to hold. You're not gonna carry two punters and have one just yeah, hold no. for field goals and whatnot. He yeah. still has to be able to punt the ball decently. Yeah. And I would trust honestly at this point Chrisman to do that because he's he's 12 years younger and he's got a, a long career ahead of him, hopefully. So yeah it's it's nice to see him being brought back to, to camp because they didn't draft a punter. I think there was a report from Peter King that said that they wanted to take one of the punters that went in the fourth round. Then they pivoted to Cordell Volson when mm-hmm. both those guys went off the board with Erasia. Um, or I don't know how to pronounce his name off the top of my head, but I feel like it, it was, it was the distance that was his calling card, but there's more to being a punter than just booting at 80 yards. There's some right. times when you need to make sure you get inside the 20 or inside the 10, depending on where you are and onto the field. And I feel like the NFL didn't fully feel like he was ahead of some other punters with that. And specifically with Darren Simmons, you know, he's a great special teams coach and that was definitely something he was probably thinking about. So there's a reason why they passed on him twice. And then he didn't end up going until the bills in the sixth round. So I think Chrisman has the ability to do that. He did that out of state. Kevin Huber has been doing this for 13 years, but if he can only punt like 40, 45 yards at most, I feel like Chrisman's got the upper, the upper leg, if you will.
1: Right. And the thing is, two people are worried about the holding situation. I mean, I was out there watching practice multiple times. I mean, Christian, he held the ball for for, for a, a shooter. So, I mean, it's – I don't – I yeah, it's something, but it's not that big of a deal. They're not going to keep Huber on just to hold the ball. The only, only person that has that is, is Clark Harris. He's the only one that, get, that gets a, something like that where he's only on there just to hike the ball. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's that's the way that goes. Now, um, let's get to Kodil uh, Volson. You, you touched on him a little bit there, and I kind of got into – a little, not a battle, but a conversation uh with uh, Sands and Lutz brought this up, and then I brought in James rapine and and uh, Jake Lisco on Twitter, where there uh, Willie was saying that Coulson is, he thinks he's going to beat out Jackson Carmen for the guard position, and I said I'm and Dr. Sands said at first that he thinks Deontay Smith might get it get there before any of, them. and I kind of agree with him on that because I think Deontay Smith, if he hadn't gotten hurt last year, probably would have been the go to guy at guard if uh. Jackson was, you know, when he was struggling, what's your, what's your thoughts on, on Volson we got, and then, uh, the left guard situation
2: with, with Smith, what he did last year in camp was remarkable to me because he was struggling at tackle. Initially, mm-hmm. there was just a complete mess at both guard spots or specifically in this case, right guard for the Bengals. And then they're like, let's just try Smith here. He's never played this position before. He's coming off of a year where he lost a ton of weight due to COVID. He barely played, he played one game because of COVID issues in that situation. And he looked better than any other option they had at right guard. And I don't think that's because Deontay Smith was impressing at right guard. I think it was because the other options were Jackson Carmen and Xavier Suofilo. <laughs> so they didn't, they had no expectations for him at that spot. I don't think that was the, originally the plan, but you're right. Had he stayed healthy, he probably would have won the job because he looked the best. Now that there's been a, a year past that, uh, since then, they want to give Carmen another chance. They brought in this guy in Bolson. They still have a Kim and that. For whatever reason, they're still confident in his ability to play that spot. They look at Smith as a tackle, and I think that's where he'll get the work in the offseason. But if crap goes down again and no option appears you know, attractive at that spot, then, yeah, it could be Smith again coming to the rescue. And we'll see how he does at this position. But with Volson, I think Goodberry kind of said it best as a prospect. He's in that same tier as Jackson Carmen and Deontay Smith, the the difference is the Bengals took Jackson Carmen like two rounds earlier because they loved what Paul Alexander had to say about him. Mm -hmm. But coming out of college, I think they're both pretty similar and both pretty equal. And the reason why Deontay Smith got as much of a chance as he did is because, you know, he took the Pollock's coaching a lot better. I I guess he came in with a better mentality and mindset and all these other things that we love to talk about, but but we don't truly understand because we're not in the building to see it for ourselves. And if Volson is that kind of guy, which, According to everything that we've read and heard, he appears to be. Then he definitely has a re- a very real chance to beat out Carmen. I'm I'm interested to see who gets those first reps. And I would I would imagine it is Carmen. But if he doesn't, you know, progress the way that they want to, and Volson's there, he's taking the coaching, he's doing well in practice, he definitely gets those opportunities.
1: Oh yeah, I think they're gonna give Jax Carmen every opportunity to to win that job. And I mean, I do personally think that he's was going to take a, him and Smith are both going to take a take a jump this year. Because typically they they take if you're going to make a jump, it's usually between your first and second year. That's you're really going to find out if you're going to be able to to hack it in the NFL. So it's gonna be a big, big sign of things come to see how good they do this year. And I personally hope Jackson does do it because I mean Deontay Smith could be that swing tackle we need. So I mean that'd be fine. I'm just throwing it out there that Deontay Smith is it in, is an option. I think a bigger option than people give him credit for. It, just what I think.
2: Yeah, it's just a matter of like how much does he play a tackle initially and what the other guys at guard do? Cause I feel like Callahan, when he was talking about like the plan for all these guys, he didn't um, dismiss Deontay Smith from being involved in that battle of left guard. It was just that if they want to give these guys a centralized focus on mm-hmm. some of these roles initially, then Smith would probably end up at tackle just because I think he ended the year at tackle when he finally got healthy, He played against the Browns at week 18 when no one else did. He played that at left tackle. They probably like Isaiah Prince more at right tackle, but I feel like they, are confident in both guys being the swing. So it's just a matter of if that's where Deontay Smith has the best chance to make the final roster, assuming that Carmen and Bolson are fine, I think that's where they want to start him out at.
1: Right. You now, it doesn't crack. You have people come at me like, well, they said they were he was only going to be at tackle only. I was like, well, that doesn't mean they said that last year too. He started playing right. guard. So, I mean, just because they say it now and getting a May doesn't mean that's the way it's going to be in September. I mean, I, that's where I, I think Twitter cracks me up. It's like, Oh, they, they said it's going to be this way. So it's got to be that way. It's not going to change it all. But okay. Well, don't, you know, don't, don't try something or anything. Anyway, <laughs> uh, let's get the Michael Madsen's uh count here. He said, do you like any of the undrafted players the Bengals have signed?
2: Great question. I feel like Carson Wells, the edge out of Colorado, he probably should have been drafted. I'm not, I'm not just saying this because we're on a Bengals podcast and we have Bengals fans here. Like, I genuinely believe that Carson Wells was good enough to be like a 5th round pick because at Colorado like how you judge production at the at the collegiate level is you compare a player's production to how the rest of the team did and if you end up with a higher let's say market share if you end up with a high market share of like tackles tackles for loss and sacks for an edge rusher that typically means you're on the path you have the path to be a, a high quality edge rusher that that's like your maximum realistic potential and Carson Wells produced in like the 97th percentile for all edge defenders going back like 50 years he's not a great all-around athlete but he did run i think a four five nine forty at about 240 pounds so he's got some juice to him and it really is kind of fun watching him at colorado because it looks like he's only like 230 pounds but he's taking on pulling guards and whatnot he's like a battering ram out there but he ended up around the ball a ton at colorado i think there might be some issues with his overall technique but i mean he's he's experienced he was productive he's athletic like i don't really understand why he didn't end up getting drafted but I look at that fourth edge spot for the Bengals behind Asai, Hendrickson and Hubbard and I feel like it's completely up for grabs and I look at Wells who should have a great opportunity to make the roster and maybe carve out a role for him so Carson Wells probably should have been drafted and the Bengals got a steal for him after the draft
1: there you go that sounds good I mean I, I was like getting steals I mean the Bengals in the past have actually done pretty well if, as, as far as their under at the free agent guys they, they sign you know I mean. <laughs> they, 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 signed a guy up. He wore number 55. He always got in trouble. What was his name? Um, um, oh yeah. Vontez perfect. They got him and he was undrafted. <laughs> so that was, that he was a good player, but you know, he also got in trouble at the same time, but still that's kind of my, my point is they do, they do a good job of finding guys that are undrafted and, and longer, you know, down in the, um, in the trenches of the draft.
2: And And I will say just, just real quick, they, they brought in now three, Coastal Carolina players yeah. and one of them was this undrafted guy Javion uh highly I believe I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing that right Wide mm-hmm. receiver projects as a slot I think Nate Tice a bleach report had him as like a third round slot option but also pretty productive down there not again not the greatest athlete you're always going to have warts when it comes to these undrafted guys but you know they needed some new bodies at receiver after not drafting any and I feel like um the this kid of coast of Carolina has a good chance to, if not, make the roster stick onto the practice squad. If injuries happen, he might get a chance. Now
1: well, speaking of Coastal Carolina, the other guy they actually drafted is is Jeffrey, which I don't know why. Award anybody that's named Jeffrey wants to be called Jeffrey because I go by Jeff. But Jeffrey Gunther, he's a defensive lineman. What do you think about about him? Because because that's the other thing too is is next year, sort of said with our, our we trade the sixth round. And we got our, our seventh round, but last year's seventh round pick, Huber or Huber, whatever his name is, I kept f- forgetting how to say it. He's coming back. And so our size coming back, so we got two of our draft picks from last year, as long along with all these other guys. But uh, Gunther, what do you think about
2: him? Yeah, he'll be involved, I think, with Wells for that battle, and I think he he belongs there too. Um, not as productive if, compared to Wells, but still very productive considering his his strength of schedule and competition at Coastal Carolina. A little bit bigger than wells i think he's 6'4", 260, but a much more all-around athlete as well um you probably should have been drafted a little bit earlier than the very end of the seventh round too so you know it's it was a great edge class it was historically great honestly and right. after after going five rounds without you know dipping your toes into that position group you kind of feel like you it's like some of these receiver classes. Like even if you don't need a receiver, if you have like 20 guys who you feel like should be drafted in the top four rounds, it does kind of hurt not getting one. And this is just an example I'm not saying that this year was like that for receivers, but it felt like that for edge defenders. And I feel like with Gunter and Wells, if you only spend one draft pick and that pick was the 252nd in the draft, I feel like you got two guys with decent potential and not a ton of investment. So I feel like that's still a win for the Bengals considering the strength of this class was probably edge rushers.
1: Yeah, now, now you brought it up there, and we'll bring up the two positions that we didn't draft: is wide receiver and tight end. And this was a a defensive heavy draft. I mean, the only offensive player they drafted was the offensive lineman. Everybody else was defense. Where do you think they're going uh, for that fourth wide receiver? Are they are we going to have to rely on Michael Thomas, or are we are we trying to sign somebody? Or what, what's your thoughts on that?
2: So they did bring in now, I think, three undrafted guys. One of them from Miami, Ohio, Jack Sorensen. Don't know a lot about him, but he was also pretty productive. The other one, I I can't think of him. I, it was uh, Kwame, how do you pronounce his name? Call Kwame Brown? Kwame, <laughs> no, Kwame <laughs> the second. His oh. dad played at Kansas back in the day, and I believe he passed away a couple years ago, but he was, I think, a safety for the Cardinals. So okay. they got okay. three undrafted guys. Again, can't really expect too much out of them. Right. But you also have to think about this. like Who's going to be dressing for game days behind those three Stanley Morgan signed a two-year contract special team savant he's getting he's he's going on to the field Mike Thomas probably like you said their most reliable true backup receiver at this point point. and then it's I guess a battle for whoever's six Trent, Trent Taylor's there Trent Trenton Irwin is there Puka Williams is coming back and then you have these three rookies so I feel like if they were going to draft one they were probably going to draft one with returning experience right. and I, I think only Lasseter out of these three guys have done so in the past in college so that I think that's still wide open which is really good news for Trent Taylor who was ended up being the return man but it could mm-hmm. bode well for maybe Chris Evans who h- had some experience I'd- with that last year and honestly like at this point the, like the best returner is still Brandon Wilson but now he's in the safeties room that's seven deep and he's probably the odd man out so I it was definitely tight end and a receiver with returning experience that were the two things that we thought they were going to do and they basically just ended up punting on that
1: yeah i had somebody at work there and they're like oh we, i said we gotta get a, a tight end he goes you don't like hayden Hurst?" like no I, I like hayden Hurst, he just only got a one-year contract you know i don't know you gotta re- try to resign him i mean if he has a great year next year i don't know if they're gonna resign him. that's why i was really i really thought they would go tight end, and it didn't but it wasn't a great tight end class so yeah. i don't think the, the draft the board never fell their way to actually to pick one that's kind of the way wide receiver. I think they could have got a wide receiver, but they, they didn't. And I, like I said, I, I'm with you. I like uh, Trent, Trent and Irwin. I think he's good. Uh, or not Trent or Chet and Taylor. I'll get it right to me. Trent's. Um, I liked him as a, the kicker turner last year, but I really like Chris Evans. I like to see him give a shot at it th- this year. I mean, I think he could be an electric guy. Now, the biggest thing is we need somebody to catch the ball. Cause that's the reason Trent Taylor became the returner because he, because Phillips was dropping the ball too much. So that's why uh, Taylor is there. Now, Chris Evans, I think, could be an electric guy. But also, do you think if they use him more in the offense, like we all want him to, you know, like he did, we saw glimpses of it in the Detroit game. If they start actually using him in the offense like that, will they take a risk of of putting him back there to return?
2: Well, even if he is more involved, like it's not going to be more than what Samadji Piran has been. And like Joe Mixon is still getting the vast majority of snaps and touches. So I feel like even if he gets bumped up the depth chart to back up to Mixon, he could still have – the opportunity to be your main punt returner, but that, that that's also what I was thinking about. I, I mentioned Chris Evans just because I still believe that Samadji P Ryans the second running back on this team, not the second best, just in their in their eyes, the coach's eyes, I still feel like Pirine is still ahead of him. He's got one year left, and Chris Evans has three years left. So there's still time for Evans to carve out a role. It's just one of those things where the fans want one thing and the coaches want the other. And Pirine, you know, we're all going to remember what happened in the Super Bowl, but he did some good things leading up. To the Super Bowl as well, so I think he's still here to stay.
1: Well, he, he also took that screen pass and changed the uh, the yeah. Kansas City game. So we we can't we got to remember the good with the bad. Yes, he 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 missed the which I mean the pass in the end of the game. I don't know. It's still getting I stu- good stuffed. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's stuff you get there, but I mean, he he he's I think he gets a bad rap sometimes. He's a good player. I mean, he's not a great player. He's a good player. He's good for what he does, and he's had some good plays. And that that's where I'm with. um some people here are, uh, that are against Eli Apple and they're saying you know since we drafted both these DBs that Eli Apple is definitely not going to start. I don't believe that. I I I think Eli's still going to be the starter. I mean, maybe by week six or seven, maybe he's not. But I I, I think Lou and Rumo is is with Eli Apple. I mean, what's your what's your thoughts? These guys going to come in and start right away, or what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think they were aggressive with Taylor Britt, not just because they want someone to compete with Eli, but because that Eli is only here for one more year and they have next to no depth behind him and Shidabe Wuzie. So I think that's why you saw the trade up for Taylor Britt in the end of the second round, because beyond him, that then you're basically punting on cornerback and mm. like that that can't really happen based off of what they have and what they need. But yeah, I think Eli Apple is still well-liked within that locker room, within that coaching staff. You know, he worked with Aniruma before, clearly clicked the second time. But again, he's Eli Apple. You don't want to commit long-term to him unless he proves it again. And if that's the case, then you can make that decision then. But with Taylor Britt, I think he has a good chance of beating out Eli Apple, not not just because Eli Apple was inconsistent, but Taylor Britt brings a lot of qualities of really, really experienced cornerback who projects really well as a man cover guy. But More experience in zone, so we'll see how that kind of translates. But checks all the boxes that that Anaruma looks for, and you know, it's definitely possible that you know, we saw the very best of Eli Apple last year, he may come back down to earth relative to where he was before. So, if if that's the case, then Taylor Britt has a great chance of beating him out, but it, it just all depends on how he does in camp.
1: But I, I just want to talk about, I guess, just the the talent that we have in the secondary now, with with Bell and Bates and with uh, Cheetah Bay and Eli and now uh, uh, Miller or, or uh, uh, Hill and 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 Can Taylor Britt. Our secondary, I think, they build it to to really go against Deshaun Watson, and, and and this is a passing league. And let's be honest, our, our secondary was a little thin. Now we don't know what's going to happen next year with Bates and Bell. But this year, I think we're going to have one of the most talented secondaries in the league, I think, talent-wise.
2: Yeah, and I think last year, there was a there was a plan with Ricardo Allen, who had experience with Lou and Aruma before back in Purdue, and then he got hurt kind of early in the season, and he still played a decent amount after that, but he wasn't quite, I think, mm-hmm. the quality of player that they envisioned when they signed him. And Dax Hill was, like, far and away, like, a clear upgrade right. over what 30-year-old Ricardo Allen was. So when I said... After the Dax Hill pick, like this guy is Ricardo Allen this year, I think that was met with some kind of underwhelming response because of what Ricardo Allen was, but what right. the role that he had and what it was supposed to be is to be that third safety that can spell both uh, Bell and Bates and play on the field at, at the same time when they're in a big nickel situation. Now you have a situation. Now you have a potential defense where you have Logan Wilson, three uh, three cornerbacks and three safeties and four pass rushers, and you can really just go to town with that, and you can have. multitude of responsibilities for a guy like hill and he can handle it as a rookie because he handled it a lot in a really good defense with michigan playing against really good offenses well okay that that was a lie he played the big 10 he didn't play against any good (laughs) offenses but he comes from a system where he knows what he's doing and he wore multiple hats there so i I think that that is very exciting even if he's not a 600 700 snap guy and this is again this not counting for injuries which could very well happen for them i think that's really exciting to see where he goes and tracking what his responsibilities yeah, yeah. are and then you have another cornerback in taylor Britt. you're set up really well to survive the the, the grind of the nfl in the, in the secondary and that's definitely one of the two or three position groups that you need depth the most like the secondary right. and offensive line you're basically as good as your weakest link and we kind of saw that in the super bowl
1: yeah and, and they've improved both of those those position groups vastly this off season. So that, that bodes, bodes well. So let's let's get into uh, a little bit of what the AFC North teams did. And when the, uh, traded Hollywood Brown, I'm like, what, what are they doing? Why would they do that? <laughs> at first I'm like, well, they, then not like anybody to throw the ball to, but and then I looked at the draft and they drafted what? Two more tight ends, maybe three more. I don't remember. So they're going to have tight ends everywhere. And that's what, uh, he, that's, that's, that, that's, I think their best, Offense is when they are a three tight end set. They're more versatile. They're, it gives Lamar Jackson more targets. It's better for them to, to, to do that. It's better for the way their offense goes. I, so I think, looking back at it, I think it's a pretty good draft. And I think they're going to be, as long as they're healthy, they're going to be tough to deal with again.
2: Yeah. Um, Kyle Hamilton was interesting because I feel like at that point, you probably couldn't have passed him up. They've signed Marcus Williams, but he's more of a true free safety. And, and Kyle Hamilton can do a multiple multitude of things for you. I think like him and Dax Hill were the two best safeties in this class. And it's kind of interesting because they played all over their respective secondaries. Linderbaum is interesting to me because I feel like that's not the best offense for him to utilize what he's really good at. And that's getting out in space and some of those zone concepts. That's not really what Baltimore does, but they did take an Iowa offensive lineman by the name of Marshall Yonda. And that worked out for them in the past. And you're right. Like, I tweeted out when they when they drafted two tight ends in the fourth round, it's an awareness to what Lamar is best at, and that's getting those tight ends over the middle and those seam routes. It was kind of a joke because you're not going to see all of them at the field at once, but it also isn't a joke because that position gets injured a lot, and behind Mark Andrews, you don't really have any like high-quality tight ends. They just have a lot of meh behind Andrews, and I feel like Charlie Kohler and Isaiah Likely, at, at that point, Likely is not very fast, but he's worth a fly around because he was so productive at Coastal Carolina. And then Travis Jones really stood out to me as a guy who probably should not have lasted as long as he did. I think he got picked like 78th or 76th. If he was the Bengals pick in the second round, I think that would have been fantastic value. So for him to go into a defense that is going to utilize his strengths, I think that's going to be that's going to be really good for them. And it'll be interesting to see how he fares against the Bengals.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now, that, that's why like I said when I, when I first saw it, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you throw, you know, get away your, your best wide receiver, but then I got to give to Dale from Bengals and Brewers. He's the one that kind of goes, well, that, that, but this might be better for them or what, what they do. Cause you know, Lamar really can't throw the ball deep, all that consistent. So
2: it, it, it's like, it's like, like who as a receiver, who succeeds in that offense? Really? I, nobody I don't nobody know. ever
1: wants to go there to be a receiver, right?
2: <laughs> it's it's very odd. So
1: <laughs> anyway, so, so we got them. So then the Pittsburgh squealers came up and we all knew they were going to trans quarterback and, Look, I know your, your your thoughts on Desmond Ritter and and, and everything, and <laughs> I was scared to death. I did not want him to go to Pittsburgh. I didn't want to go there because I would have had to immediately dislike him and stop rooting for him. So thank God they drafted small hands, two glove, work off, whatever the heck you want to call him. Kenny, pick your nose, pick it. What's your thoughts on on, on him? I don't think he's going to start this year. I think Trubisky is going to be their starting QB, but what do you think about him?
2: Yeah, it wouldn't. Particularly shock me if Trubisky wins that battle, but it's also not a great look if you're the only team that drafts a quarterback in the top what seventy picks.
1: Yeah, Desmond didn't get picked on what the third round.
2: Yeah, like him and uh, Matt Corral and I think Malik Willis were all third round picks, and then right. Sam Howell Sam Howell should like sue the advisory board who told him he was going to go in the top two rounds or whatever, uh, because there's no reason for him to, to declare no. if he was going to end up going in the fifth round. But no. back to back to it. I feel like he's probably. Oh, this is so, these are so like archaic terms like the like the highest floor QB just because he was really productive at Pitt in an offense that asked him to do a lot of the the same things that most offenses are doing in the in the NFL. But at a certain point, you have to think about how much can you grow beyond what you are right now. And people have compared him to Burrow for playing style and productive you know, production reasons. But I feel like Pickett's arm talent is not quite. At that level, he's definitely an athlete. He can move out of the pocket and make some throws on the run. I, I feel like he's not going to be a, a straight bum. Like mm-hmm. Trubisky ended up being in Chicago, but I'm not sure if I would risk spending a first-round pick on him. Maybe, like, this is Kevin Colbert's last draft as the Steelers GM. Right. Like, he has no accountability now with the sense <laughs> of going bad. But I'm out. <laughs> yeah, like, he just, okay, here's a quarterback to compete. So I, I don't think he's going to be terrible. I think there's enough to like that he can eventually carve out a decent starting role. I just like, even, even with whatever bias that I have, I, I don't foresee like a high quality quarterback now, unless he proves everyone completely wrong. and turns into this other quarterback.
1: Yeah. My, my thought was is back in, if you remember back in well, I don't, I don't exactly know how, how old you are, John, but back in 83, when the, uh, I wasn't alive. Okay. When I was, well, I was, how old was I? Seven, no, seven, eight years old. Anyway, <laughs> back in 83, the uh, Pittsburgh Squirrels did not, Draft a quarterback out of Pittsburgh by the name of Dan Marino. That was the last time I think they the Pittsburgh had a quarterback in college get drafted in the first round that I can remember. I don't remember another one between him and, and Tom Pickett. Savage
2: was close, but he, he wasn't.
1: So that's that's kind of where I'm at. I'm like they he's in their own backyard. How they share the the same stadium and I think the same training facilities or something. They share a lot of stuff. So that's where I was like, I don't I didn't think they're gonna let him get past him because I mean. They don't want to make the same. Not that Pickett's got to be Dan Marino, but they didn't want to make the same mistake twice. I mean, I'm sure if they had Dan Marino, they would have. <laughs> it would have been a lot different for them in the '80s. But that's just my my thought process on it. But like I said, I'm with you. I was shocked that we didn't get another. No quarterback went in the second round. I, I was. I was. I knew this wasn't a big, a great quarterback class, but I was surprised that it, it took a to seventh round, second or third round, till Desmond. Got to go to Atlanta, and I don't know about you. I'm happy. I think I think Atlanta's a good spot for him. I think he can he can sit behind the year for a Marcus Mariota and, and maybe take over the next year. What, what's your thoughts on where Desmond went?
2: In all honesty, I'm I'm happy that he got drafted there because I feel like that fits probably where he should have gone. And if he had been drafted like in the late first, or early second, I feel like his career and how it would likely unfold would likely be viewed as like underwhelming. But now he's a third round pick, like you said. All all of this in front of him is Marcus Mariota, who's on a one year deal. So he's he should be considered at, like their first long term option, unless for unless he plays this year and looks terrible, and then they're back in like the Bryce Young or CJ Stroud sweepstakes next week because Atlanta is not good at all. No, like no. like it, it's it's nice that they got him a wide receiver in Drake London. He's automatically their number one. Ar- Ar- Arnold Ebiketie has a second round pick. Is yeah, they got old
1: Tate too. I mean, come on.
2: Moving on from that, um, Des is going into a spot where, yeah, he can definitely compete for playing time, but I think Atlanta is at least two years away from being good. So I'm not going to judge how Ritter does until like there's competency around it because right now there's not. But being a third round pick, a lot less pressure than being a high second or first.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I'll, either like we talked about Pickett and we talked about Desmond, I don't think either one of them are going to start this year. I think they're both going to sit behind them. Now, I want to go back to Pittsburgh again here. Now, we talked about, uh, Pickett sit behind Trubisky for a year and, and how much of, edge you call him a bum, he was in Chicago. Do you think, he, I mean, I, I know they're just going to play defense, try to run the ball. I understand that. But is, is Trubisky going to, is he that big of an upgrade from Ben? I mean, is he?
2: I mean, Ben was terrible. Right. <laughs> At the but end. Yeah. Like, I feel like Trubisky is probably slightly better than Ben. It's just a matter of like, Ben has had had a knowledge of what to do in, in certain situations and Trubisky hasn't really played in a year. He's playing in his third system in five years. So who knows how that's going to go. I feel like his arm is at least alive, whereas Ben's just wasn't, was not. And every single time Ben was throwing down the field, I was in shock of how far that actually went, but I feel like he he was just sacrificing weeks off of his life every time that he wound up and threw it beyond like 10 yards. So, you know, Congrats on his retirement. I think Trubisky gives them more options to what to do in, in that offense. But yeah, he's still Mitch Trubisky's, and that's a giant projection.
1: Yeah, I mean the the the, the funny thing is, and this is what I mean. Everybody last year gave the Bengals so much crap about not drafting offensive line. The Squirrels still haven't drafted an offensive line. They're they did still... spend.
2: They did spend, but yeah,
1: yeah. But they, I mean, they I guess they addressed it, addressed it there. But I mean, I just. That part just cracks me up. I mean, I think Trubisky might be just being thrown thrown to the wolves.
2: He's definitely quick enough to avoid some of them, though. So he's got that going.
1: <laughs> that is true. Now let's talk about – I'm going to do a little bear cuts, I guess, here. Let's talk about Sauce. Um, I, I was surp- I, surprised that Stingley went over him. I thought Sauce is going to be the first one picked. But I think uh, Sauce going to the Jets is, I think, a, a really good spot for him. What, what, what do you think? How you think? How good do you think Sauce is going to do in New York?
2: Yeah, I think that the Lions could have used them. The Texans Texans could have used them, but the Lions like they weren't going to pass up Hutchinson because he's a Michigan kid. I think with Stingley, so Sauce did like one thing and one thing only at Cincinnati. Like he was Mm -hmm. a press corner in that scheme, and I feel like with Stingley, he has more experience doing multiple things in terms of coverage, and that is probably he probably fits the Texans defense a little bit better. Than what sauce is but he, sauce is going to a defense in the jets that does similar things to what cincinnati did they needed a true number one cornerback it's the jets um i feel a little bad for him there but i really hope he balls out and gets another contract with an actual team unless the jets make this bengals type leap which they're definitely setting up zach wilson for success to do that but I, th- I think yeah sauce it was awesome seeing him drafted in the top five first time in my lifetime that's happened for UC Bearcat, it was it was really cool to see. It was really cool to see him interact with the owner Woody Johnson too. He was yeah. really curious about his sauce necklace and he explained oh, that there was actually sauce in there. I mean, come on, dude! He's one of the coolest guys in this class, and he played at UC. Like, that's awesome.
1: Yeah. That, I, know, I I love the necklace. I mean, that was freaking awesome. I'm like, dude, I'm 47. I need to get a, a chain <laughs> like that, that says Iceman or something. I, I ain't got the jack for that. But I thought that was really cool. I, and like Michael Matson here says, the Jets got half the draft, which I got end up having three first round picks. that traded trade all over the place. And that's one thing. Another thing about this draft that I was I was more shocked about how many trades there were because this there wasn't the juggernaut guys there. Like last year, you had all the quarterbacks. Year before that, you had Burrow. Or year before that, Chase. Um, and then you had, uh, 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 the quarterbacks there and also, uh, uh, not picket, uh, where the guy, the tight end went for the, uh, the, went to the Falcons, um, pits Pitts, Thank you. I know the P anyway, you had these marquee guys. You didn't really have that this year. That's where I was kind of surprised. I didn't think there'd be a lot of trades, but there's a ton. <laughs> it was, it was surprising. I'm trying to, trying to figure out, okay, this guy got traded there. That team traded up to that. I'm like, where are we at? It was, it was really surprising how, how many trades there were.
2: Yeah, I think for me, like I was kind of in that same mindset. I I didn't see a ton of players that were like worth trading up and and sacrificing draft capital. If you feel like, to to, at least to me, my mindset was, if you feel like there's not a lot of elite talent, you might as well just have as many shots in the dark as possible to see if, if you hit on a couple. But I think the opposite was true. If there's not a ton of guys that you would feel comfortable wherever you're picking. You might as well just trade up and sacrifice a draft picker here too to get someone that you would feel comfortable picking at that spot. And since you don't like the class as a whole, you're not too worried about not having as many picks to take guys that you may not like one. And I think that was that was the case for the Bengals, not just because they needed a cornerback, but they probably thought we don't we only have like a 100 and something like 130 140 great draftable guys in this class we're not worried about you know giving up a six round pick in order to get a cornerback that we feel like can compete right now probably the same was true of tyson anderson because you know he was objectively like an early day three or maybe late day two safety out of toledo you're he's there in the late fifth you might as well sacrifice that that seventh round pick that you had so yeah you end up with six picks from the Bengals' perspective but they didn't have eight openings to make this roster in the first place and if you feel like you got. You know, five or six guys that were in the top 100 or whatever on your board, you you take that and run with it.
1: Yeah, and I was surprised, uh, and uh, that was shocked. Or how shocked were you? Because I was that the Bengals the Bengals actually traded up. I mean, <laughs> I'm just because the last time I remember them trading up, and I think I'm right, was in '95 when they traded up for the number one pick and got Kajana Carter. You
2: know. So I was shocked a little bit just because it hasn't happened, and you're right, it hasn't happened that early since 1995. But again, because of the fact that they're not going to have a ton of openings on right. on this roster, it, it made sense in that way. Trading up twice, I guess, is something I wasn't quite expecting because usually when they've traded up in the past, they trade it back beforehand, so right. they 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 net out with an increase in overall picks from however many trades that they make. So trading up twice. I guess only giving up two picks in total is not completely shocking. They they didn't end up with like only three or four picks. So they still ended up with six guys. But yeah, trading up twice was definitely interesting. It's definitely noteworthy. It's probably going to be an outlier going forward just because of the quality of the roster and the, the bad quality of the, of the draft class as a whole. <laughs> exactly. Hey, uh,
1: my buddy Dale, he's, he's, he's pull, pulling to me because Saturday night I was, I was on their show, Bengals and Brewers. And, and John, or not John, excuse me, you're on today. Uh Anthony, your partner of crime is gonna be on my show tomorrow. And I hadn't confirmed with him if he's coming on or not. So I was like, Hey Anthony, since I got you on here, you know, you're coming on my show. He's like, Yes, so there I started I cracking up it So Dale here <laughs> is a, uh, hey Joe, I got you on here. I think he wants to know if you want to come on Bengals and Peru sometime.
2: Absolutely, man. Like I I think Dale invited me for Saturday, but I had a, a previous commitment um that I had to do that night. But I definitely would love to come on in the near future, definitely for sure. There
1: you go. So just get make sure you give my boys uh, a follow. Bengals and Brewers—they're—they're they're on uh, uh, the weekends, depending on what time they can do it. But most Saturday nights they're on, and we have a good time. We, I say we—I'm—I'm I'm like the third member, but it's not technically my show. I'm just on there a lot with them because it's—it's fun with hanging out with my seat neighbors, and I miss those guys during the season. I can't wait till uh, the season starts. Now, um, the Bengals tweeted out today that the boys are back in town, meaning you know a lot of guys are pretty much everybody was back in the building today. Um, but there was no practice. It, when is the first day of, of practice? Do you know? I mean, has anybody, I haven't he- heard anything.
2: Yeah, I, I just know that the uh, voluntary OTAs, I think they're all going to be voluntary this year. I just know that that began today. I think they're we're on the field like stretching. I don't know if they've actually been doing anything, but now's about the time when rookie minicamp happens. We get some clips and media access from that. So I, I don't have a specific date for you, but probably in the next week or two.
1: Yeah, because I, I but one of the bad thing about minicamp at least it was last year. Uh, they had it inside the stadium and they won't let me in there. I don't have the media credentials. If they have it outside, I'm all, I'm all over it. John. I could be up on the bridge and, and watching it there. So,
2: well, well now going forward, man, like I, who knows if it's going to be inside, inside their actual facility, you know, <laughs>
1: true, it's, it's true, possible.
2: True. <laughs> you,
1: never, you never know. You never know. So anyway, um, what do you got going on here with uh, OBI? You got, got cool stuff coming up anytime soon. Any cool interviews or anything?
2: Oh, my God, man. Anthony was absolutely killing it in Vegas. He had like I a know. ton of play interviews. I think he interviewed Carl Loftus, which would have been cool if he was the pick. But uh, he interviewed like <laughs> Daniel Jeremiah, some other analysts and other picks. And he recapped the entire draft all out from Vegas. Um, so a, a phenomenal job by my partner in crime. But the, the, the real brain power of OBI, like he's the host. He, he started it in 2016. Everything that has that's been great about OPI is because of him and what he's done. So he did a phenomenal job. Covering the draft for OBI and Cincy Jungle out there in Vegas, and I will be glad to jo- to rejoin him on Wednesday when we when we recap the draft and everything about that. So Wednesday night, eight thirty Eastern time, check us out.
1: Yeah, it was cool. He was he was. Uh, I listened to some of uh, the interviews he had. Um uh Dan Jeremiah I saw, and then I saw him. I didn't hear this one, but I, I I heard it. I saw him live talking to Trey Wingo, which I thought that was pretty yeah. cool because Trey Wingo has always been kind of one of my. Favorite guys on on ESPN. I miss I miss Golick and Wingo on there. I don't I <laughs> don't listen to Keith John or whatever whoever the hell they got on there at ESPN. I, actually, hell, I barely ever listen to ESPN radio anymore. But yeah, a shout out to Anthony and and uh, and to you for all, all the work you guys do and all the work everybody does it at uh, Cincy Jungle. I think it's a great read and a great uh, website to to check out. Anyway, um, I guess you already plugged everything, so I guess I'll let you go. <laughs> unless you got something else you want to say, John.
2: Yeah, man, it was, it was an exciting weekend. Um, I think the Bengals got better. It's probably all that matters. And we will see how this class ends up in a few years. But I think the team is looking pretty well right now. So thanks for having me on, Jeff.
1: No problem, John. As always, I appreciate it, brother. Who day.
2: See you. All
1: right, guys. Like I said, go check out the OBI Orange and or Black Insider podcast. Check out Cincy Jungle. Anthony and John are two of my favorite guys. They are always willing to give me time and come on my show. And I appreciate it. All the time. Sorry, I'm just moving around here. So anyway, let's get to the uh, Facebook groups that let me live stream, And I appreciate every single one of you guys. Yeah, got Nation, Houdé Legion, since I read Ronnie Third Haven from Bearcat Ruckus, Bearcat Country, the Ohio State, Bucknuts, the Ice Bar. And then you can follow me on all my social media platforms, all under Sports with Strawberry Ice. On my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Twitter handle is at Jeffy Trenopolo. TikTok is at, at, at Iceman90. YouTubers, like I said, I'm at 1,641. I have, the channel is making huge leaps and that is all because of you guys. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the support. I appreciate tweeting it out. Uh putting it on Facebook. Let me put it on your, on your Facebook groups. Everything you guys are doing is awesome because if it wasn't for you guys, I say this every single time. If it wasn't for you guys paying attention to what I'm saying or the guests I have on here or whatever, or caring about what I'm saying or disagreeing about what I'm saying, if it wasn't for you guys, like I said, I would not have a show. So I appreciate you guys very, very much. Go check out the channel. I did a little video clip on our the on the worst team in the uh, major league baseball. My Cincinnati Reds. They're three and nineteen, I think it is. Absolutely horrible. It's just anyway. I don't even want to. I already I already ran it about it on the sh- on this this video clip. So make sure you guys go check it out. There's some cool stuff on there. Coming up uh, this week, I got Anthony Casenza. Wednesday, I got Jim Breach, the Bengals' all-time leading scorer. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Go check out the video I did of of my draft day experience I had at Paul Brown Stadium. That was from Thursday night. That was awesome. As always, I appreciate every single one of you guys. Like I said, let's keep it going here. Let's try to roll to 2,000 as fast as we can. I will we put it on the podcast later on tonight, so make sure – you check it out it's on BeanPod, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it. And other than that, I'll see you guys tomorrow. And that's your sports, baby.
0: See ya! Let's go. Let's go. Day black in the night. Ooh, stripes in our veins, sparks gonna fly. Ooh, the beast is awake, orange, black and white. Cause when the jungle come alive, who they? We ignite and I. Stripes, Cincinnati, we gon' rise and I. Stripes, in the jungle we unite and I. Stripes, dripping orange, and black and white. Who they when we fight, live and die in these stripes. Yeah, it's Go. a feast, every day is a feast. Busted off the leash in the jungle, dripping heat. Tigers strike the city streets. East side, stand up. West side, stand up. If you weapon, who they? Time to put your hands up. Dingle stripes, we in it. New day, new age, yeah, we get it. Cincinnati, jungle, fit it. Who they in our house, we win it. Orange and black and white, we build it. Earn our stripes, you know we kill it. Bleed our colors, jungle, dripping. Nasty, natty, yeah, we live it. Lit the crowd, hit the city loud. Now, fit the bounce, make the sit. ¡Suscríbete al canal!